and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, and joining me in person this week, I got Mr. Wally Lukashensky. Oh, I probably should talk. I want you to take it away. See, this is this is the fun of having in-person shows is that we actually get a little bit more organic flowing conversation instead of me having to edit us morons talking together. So I'm very, very excited to be here yet again. Like we said, maybe once a month, try to do this at least until I possibly move somewhere that makes it a little more challenging. But here we are. We're back again. Episode 29. Let's make it a great one. Always love having you in my neck of the woods, mostly because that means I don't have to travel. But Wally, you're the man. You're the one making the sacrifice here. So I do appreciate you. And I just love being able to kick back, have a beer in person, shoot the shit. And then I can actually slap you in the face when you make stupid remarks like I'm sure you will on this episode. Yeah, well, that's partly what I do. And it's what I'm good at. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But we, we don't have too, too much to talk about. It's probably going to be somewhat of a shorter show, at least until the next couple weeks. Then we get to the real fun stuff. We're going to have – we're going to get into it. But Jadavion Clowney possibly signing with the Browns tomorrow. And then it gets to real draft season. We're less than a few weeks away now. It's up in Cleveland. I know my buddy and I are going to plan on still getting up there. We haven't heard back yet from Sherwin. Hopefully we can make that work. Have been, like I said, since they started traveling around in Chicago, I'd love to give it another whirl and give Cleveland a little extra time and attention. I haven't been up there nearly recent enough. A little bit over two weeks away. So by the time this episode goes out, it'll probably be exactly two weeks away. As well as, we got that interview lined up here. So maybe we can get this uh, trigger pulled, get uh, get it on the episode here in a couple weeks. Wait, oh, oh, that's right. See, I'm over here. I wasn't even sure who you were talking about. Well, see, first. I didn't want to give it away, so you guys can't see, but I was giving hand signals. And me. I got it real quick, and you guys will too eventually. Hopefully when we do get him on here in, a, what, a couple weeks here, he said right around draft time he'd be available. Yep. And then once you get one interview, we're hoping that things start getting a little smoother from there. On top of that, I'll be in, like I said, I'm in Columbus, and tomorrow I'm going in. I'm learning a little bit more about this software. I wasn't able to get it done this week because we're in person. It doesn't make sense. It's more of a distance thing. Yep. But once we have that, we're going to be have upload videos of us doing the podcast, us looking like morons. And when these interviews drop, it'll be nice to put a little bit of a the name to the face with them talking to us. It should be a lot of fun. It's just a matter of making me understand it because I am technologically dumb. I don't know if it's going to hurt or help us if they're actually able to match a name to a face or a voice to the face. I think we might steadily decline, but whatever. Two step backwards, one step forward. There's a reason that I do my podcast in a dark room. I try to isolate myself where nobody can see me. It's better for everyone if you only hear my voice. You see the face too. It's just unfortunate for everyone involved. We'll figure that out when it comes. I'll try to continue. You're going on your diet next week, too. So come. Yeah, we'll see. No, no, you told me you were. So that just means come opening day next year, we're both just going to be these skinny dudes. It's going to be like an under 400 combined pound podcast. So it'll be great. Under 400. Yeah. What are we send the over under at? Well, if it comes to a leg, I, I will be willing to remove a leg. But that's a good point. So I'm sitting right now. I hovered this month. So I'm still right around that 280. But we're back on it. March Madness is behind us. Easter's behind us. Diet's back. I've been grinding this week. I'm looking forward to getting back on the scale. What are you at right around now? I'm at 280. Stay at 280. Okay. So right now we are at 560. I think that if we can get... get at 500. Maybe 490. I was going to say, if we can get to 480, that's 40 pounds between the two, two of us. We're both Fucking under 250. Christ. Hey, we're both under 250. That's like a drop. Well, at least for I'm me. Not, I'm not going to pick up a heroin addiction. Well, you know what? I maybe thought an, about Maybe it. an eating disorder. That would be coupled with heroin, I guess. But yeah, there's no 480. I'm just saying that's 40 pounds between us. At least for me, here's my computer making noise. Ignore that. Thanks, Yahoo. But who the, who the fuck uses Yahoo? It's an old thing. See, this is one of those weird situations where I had to buy this computer from my mom when I was in school. Because here's how I ruined my. You could pay me to use Yahoo. Well, see, I didn't want to use Yahoo. It's not my email. Kind of seems like you still want to use Yahoo. I'm just saying. So I was at school. It was a late night. I was sick. I wasn't even drinking because this is going to sound like I was drinking. But my dumbass, you know when you you start feeling like you're going to throw up. And your body just like doesn't know what to do. So you lock up, threw up right on the computer, ruined. 
cashed, gone, see ya. So now I'm rocking this like 10-year-old Mac, which is great most of the time until you need to start recording a podcast. And now all of a sudden it doesn't look so good, so I'll have to get a new one eventually. But so yeah, threw up on my old computer. That explains the Yahoo. That explains the noise. It doesn't really explain it all, but whatever. I'll just I'll just let you have this one, Wally. You have Yahoo for God's sake. So I know you're already taking a lot of L's. We can we can make fun of you and your Yahoo mail all day. We got a couple real fun stories to really open up this episode this week. First one that was brought to my attention: Kevin James. That's right, big King of Queens fan over here. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, King of Queens. It's like bread and butter for me growing up. It's what you're going on a long card ride. I'm sure you guys, some of you, a long had those card big, ride. What are you driving cards? I, I literally just came out of a car. My brain's broken. I'm fried right now. Fucking Yinzer. Whatever it is. But I'm just saying, do you guys remember those vans that you would grow up with? Or at least you would drive past with those little TVs that we thought was so cool back then. I'd be sitting like six feet behind in the back seat watching King of Queens. Because we just would put on one season after another on long car rides. So, of course, I know who you're talking about. Kevin James is the, the freaking man. Now, Sean Payton? as Like, cast? Kevin Kevin James is set to play Sean Payton in an upcoming Netflix movie. Like, how's that going to work? I don't see Sean Payton at all when I see Kevin James. Not not at all. Not not even Kevin James' most thin Kevin James. He never went on like a Jonah Hill roller coaster of weight loss and gaining. The dude was just basically a flat line, just straight across, never changed through his whole the last few decades. Maybe a couple pounds here and there. All in all, the dude's always fat. How's he going to go into this? What's the point of the movie, Wally? So I know, which I respect, you did not do any digging prior to this. So I wanted I wanted a fresh input or at least hear about this fresh because I saw the headline. I saw you put it in the rundown. I literally know nothing besides Kevin James is playing Sean Payne. So this movie is going to be taking place. The plot of it is during Bounty Gate. Okay. But... It's when Sean Payton was the football coach for a sixth grade son's football team during that year that he was suspended for Bounding Gate. If you guys do not know this, from the years, what was it, 2009 to 2011, the New Orleans Saints head coach, Sean Payton, their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, got in trouble for, quote unquote, putting bounties on players' heads. Essentially what that means is go out there injured, here's 25000 on your next check that I'm giving you. Brett Favre was one of those guys that was famously targeted because that was, of course, during their Super Bowl run of 2009 to 2010. Well, not to get too sidetracked real quick, but oh, who no, knows? that doesn't sound like us. Yeah, it doesn't sound like us at all. But if can you imagine had they not targeted Brett Favre that game? And I know a lot of those were legal hits, ironically enough, that he took in that game. But who knows? Maybe if he's not pressing at the end of the game, worried about that next big hit, does he force that pass across the middle? Yes, of course he pa- He's made a career off that. You know he is. <laughs> yeah, but this was late-stage career, Brett. Could we have been talking about a Minnesota Vikings Brett Favre team winning the Super Bowl? Because that Saints team went on to beat Peyton. And then imagine how great that would have been, too, had it been a Peyton Manning, Brett Favre Super Bowl. And Brett Favre, he probably would have retired that year. He probably wouldn't have come back. Well, that's what he, he fucking Peyton. gets for leaving Green Bay, setting us on this, sorry to say it again, but this roller coaster of emotions. That's yeah, what he gets. It's a roller coaster, all right. I was rooting for Minnesota because I was an agent of chaos living in Wisconsin at the time. So I <laughs> love seeing the the meltdowns throughout the Milwaukee area. I'm not going to lie to you. Whatever. I'm a big, big Chiefs guy. So, oh, no, uh-huh. like you said, we did get sidetracked. <laughs> I mean, what do you – how do you think this movie can be? I'm I'm going to think it's like a low – like a poor man's kicking and screaming. Well, Will Ferrell, if I, you don't know. I literally just don't understand how they even cast Kevin James for this role. I mean, is it supposed to be a serious movie or is it supposed to be a comedy? Do we have any idea I'm, yet? I'm assuming it's going to be a comedy because it's about Sean Payton, Sean Payton coaching a bunch of sixth graders. Yeah, I and guess. Sean Payton gave him the green light for this. Well, so you're getting Will Ferrell kicking and screaming vibes, but it's Sean Payton and Kevin James. Well, Sean Payton gave the, gave the green light to film it, but I'm just saying. Just, I don't know, Sean Payton going from the NFL to sixth grade. I mean, fundamentally, that had to just drive you crazy day in and day out. Like, how would you – do you think, like, in the back of his mind, he was like, you know what? I might fucking make these kids put boundaries on other players just to spice this game up a little bit. 
See, it's 2021. How often do we use flask, right? Like you don't use them. People give them for gifts all the time. <laughs> one of my buddies actually got me one for being his best man. So apologies if you're hearing this, but you use a flask at most, what, two, three years or two times a year tops. And that's if you're looking for an excuse to use a flask. This was a ready-made year for it. If I'm Sean Payton, in real life I'm talking, and I had to deal with sixth graders after what being in the NFL for so long, I would have to go at least a little bit lubed up, throw a little bit back, a little bit of the brown, because I don't know how I would handle it. I think it would be – I was miserable as a player watching sixth grade football half the time, let alone a coach that's used to being in the NFL. How would you feel if you were a parent of one of these kids and Sean Payton was the coach of your football team after the bounty gate? <laughs> See that? See if it was your team, you don't care. It is in New Orleans, though, so they're probably like, "Hell yeah!" Well, it's Louisiana, so it's like it really doesn't matter. It doesn't happen. Nobody pays attention to it. But if it's your player, oh, I don't care. If anything, maybe you get a little lining, a little share the wealth on your end. But it's the opponents I'd be worried about. Imagine being the rival school of Sean Payton's kid, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh man, is is little Johnny gonna get his head ripped off?" Because at least in the NFL, you say bounty gate or bounty gate. They know to make it look like an accident. Sixth graders, they're going to be in the bottom of the pile, literally well, they're kicking just and punching. They're just unathletic, so they just look like it's a natural play all around when they're falling <laughs> forward in a vicious fashion. Get a sack, take your helmet off, start swinging it around naturally. Sean Payton apparently didn't really do that good of a job because I haven't heard of any of these kids being prospects here going into college. <laughs> so apparently that must have been a shit year that they had. Well, again, how motivated could you be? I feel like he's the kind of guy that even when he was not playing or coaching in New Orleans – He's probably still watching film. He's probably still prepping for the following year. I mean, your boy, Mike McCarthy, he was the one. Fuck Mike McCarthy. He was the one. Remember, and I bought Watching all that film to be a 4-12 and team. Yeah, well, he had his own coaching staff, and they were treating it like they had a football team. They were game planning and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is actually, we're getting a different Mike McCarthy. This is, he's going to come out. Still a fat fuck lazy-eyed who can't fucking run a play. I was so convinced. I'm like, he's going to go to Dallas, and we're going to see a different side of him. He's going to be aggressive. You're not going to see the conservative garbage play calling that you get out of him, at least in Green Bay. And Yeah, holy shit, my bad. That was on me. He still has time. He could, in theory, figure it out. But back to Sean Payton. I don't think he was exactly losing sleep over these sixth graders games. Like whatsoever. I don't know. I can see back to your flask comment. I can see him just having a nice glass of bourbon. He's like, not now, baby. We got Stony Brook tomorrow morning. I got to make sure that I'm watching uh, this seventh grader. Oh, he's a hell of a talent. Yeah. Well, do you remember? Oh, my gosh. Like I brought up kicking and screaming. But like Mike Ditka's in that movie and Will Ferrell. At the beginning, he doesn't really care. It's all fun and games. But when he gets serious, he has that little like cappuccino maker on the yep. sideline. I imagine him just basically taking it in another direction. Bad play. We're down 21 nothing. Oh, cool. I'll just take another hit real quick. I'll turn around. We'll be good. Well, that's the whole reason he was in this trouble. He just wanted his players to keep taking other hits, and that's why he was coaching the team. Nonetheless, let's move it on here, Wally. I think it's a little bit more fun news. Well, I think that was pretty great in itself. Yeah, I was going to say, you made it sound like Sean Payton died or something. He is dead to me. Oh, well, there you go. I just, you know what I don't like about Sean Payton? Every time he pans to you, he always has the duck face on. Okay, well, here's my hot take on Sean Payton, and I'm going to come out and say it. Why are we so convinced he's this elite NFL head coach? It's like this unspoken, just agreed upon thing across the league circles. He's this outstanding, elite, top talent guy. If we're going to criticize guys like Drew Brees for only having one ring, at what point do we do the exact same thing to Sean Payton? I feel like Sean Payton had the same exact roster for five years and went six and ten every year. Well, it was, well, and no one ever recently, talks about that. Well, you're right. That's true, too. Especially because I feel like the whole Hurricane Katrina thing bought everybody a little bit more time. There's a chance. Am I wrong? He was there already, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely there. But that bought people time because there was so much goodwill off of that season after that I felt like they kind of almost had not jobs for life to speak, but they had probably two or three extra years that they normally would not have had. And I don't know. I just, there's nothing about Sean Payton that he's a good coach. I don't think that I'm going to say he's not a good coach, but it's just he's not at the level that everyone's putting him on. No. I mean, when you have rosters like this, I mean, year in and year out, you're like looking at this team, you're like, that's a Super Bowl roster. You just got to figure it out. And yeah. They've had, the like the Ram, the horrible call there. They had the Vikings game. 
bad call there. But who knows how those games, well, I, I mean, they would have beat uh, the Rams. I'm not going to say they wouldn't, but who knows how that season would have ended up. I just, I don't know. I feel like we're very quick as fans to say something's good or bad and then never move off of that take. We do it with everything. Football, I mean, I, I will go to bat every day about Derek Carr. I feel like people made their mind up on him that he wasn't going to be good. And then they just decide that all these achievements he's had haven't happened because we already said he's not a good quarterback. So to bounce back, I know you're talking about Mike McCarthy. And yeah, Sean I'm sorry. Payton. I went, I went Sean Payton's record, a hundred, Sean Payton's record, 139 and 84. Mike McCarthy's record, 131, 87 and two. Okay. We're not a fan. You know, I'm not a fan of Mike McCarthy. And we're giving this to Sean Payton's talk. Why isn't Mike McCarthy in that conversation then with just seven wins less? I don't there's and the same amount of Super Bowls and the same amount of MVP quarterbacks that have played for him. Well, that's the thing, too, because a lot of people, and for good reason, put Sean Payton is a fraud. You're breaking news. I'm just saying that Sean this Payton is. Sean Payton is a fraud. If you look back, Aaron Rodgers. And Drew Brees are both going to be known as probably top five, if not top five, fringe top five quarterbacks. And Rodgers is clearly in that. Drew Brees is the one I'm talking about potentially being fringe. Why then do we give Drew Brees and Sean Payton a pass? But when Aaron Rodgers was struggling, and I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers deserves too much blame because he was he's been outstanding, but it was Mike McCarthy setting him up to fail. But we didn't do the exact same conversation in New Orleans. Like, why wasn't it this offense? This is Sean Payton's baby down there. And for some reason, they get a pass on it. But Mike McCarthy was basically the redheaded stepchild. And Aaron Rodgers could do no, like, no wrong at all. Well, it's because they have Taysom Hill. Well, yeah. I mean, best quarterback in the league. Quarterback, tight end, running back, you name it. O.W., as Denard Robinson would say, Denard Robinson? There That's you go. That's the one. Yeah, Shoelace, Shoelace Robinson? Yeah, remember at the draft, it was I want to say it was like the third or fourth round. He gets drafted, do the in-person interview, and a guy does, hey, what position do you see yourself playing in the NFL? He's like, O.W. And then the guy's like, what's an O.W.? He's like, offensive weapon. And the guy literally was just like silent for three seconds. He's like, what do we do with this, guys? What, does anybody got any? And what's he doing now? I, that's the thing. He was what? He was in Jacksonville, and he probably got like 10 touches a year that rookie year. And then I feel like I never heard from him again. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he might be dead for all we know. But no, go back. We were going to change the topic, and then I yeah, drug us back down to Sean Payton. All right. The NFL expected to pass a rule for more relaxed jersey number restrictions here. So I think it's pretty cool. Essentially, it's going into the college numbers where there's no rules. So... Quarterbacks and punter, 1 through 19. Running backs, 1 through 49. 80 through 89. Defensive backs, 1 through 49. Linebackers, 1 through 59. 90 through 99. Offense and defensive linemen, 50 through 79. As well as D linemen, 90 through 99. So, are we ready to see wide receivers back into the single digits? Okay, so I'm the type of person that hates change. I'm very boring. I, like just because it's baseball starting, I'm going to use a couple baseball examples. Why? Like, I, well, I hated it when they went to instant replay. I love the human error element in baseball, which clearly replay hasn't fixed everything. If anybody's watching that Phillies Braves game the other night, but you have that. Then on top of that, I don't want the DH to be removed from the NL. All these things that I hate, hate, hate change. I never understood why this was like a big deal to people. I know it makes it easier on journalists, makes it easier on fans to recognize players right away because of their numbers. I think it's sweet when you see like a defensive end in college football, like Chase Young, when he's rocking number two, it just felt scarier. I don't know. It's just, if someone wants to wear whatever number they want, I don't give a shit. If an offensive lineman wants to wear 28, it ain't going to bother me. I know that'll look weird. It's going to take time to get used to. But I don't know. It just never really bothered me. And I think it's a weird thing that – a weird hill that a lot of people are trying to die on right now. I think most people our age are like, this is sweet. Let our skill position guys – like imagine Reggie Bush in five in New Orleans instead of 25. That would have been sweet. It would have been so cool. I mean, imagine how many more jerseys you'd sell too. And that's probably half the reason why the NFL is willing to do this. It's because, like, think about it. You have a wide receiver. Like, let's say Tim Brown was my favorite wide receiver growing up. He was 81. Let's say that for whatever reason, he wanted to flip that to like 18 or hell, he even wanted to be number like seven. Well, guess what? 
I would be out there buying a new jersey immediately. It wouldn't matter if I had an 81 or not. I'm indifferent about it. As long as the players are not going to be negatively affected by it. Because you, we all know the carousel that they have to go around if they do have to change that jersey number. Essentially, you sign a contract with whatever jersey distribution that we have there. Like It's Nike mostly right now. But once that goes out, you guys change your number. You legally have to buy all those jerseys back from the retailers for you guys to be able to send your new jersey, your, your new jersey numbers out. Ocho Cinco had to pay a large sum for that. See, just because he had to, just because he had to change his name. That was awesome though. Oh, that was badass. It was so well, it's just even funnier that he didn't do it right, isn't it? It's, it's like Ochenta E Cinco. Yeah, Ocho Cinco. Well, I was gonna say the, yeah. the actual and that one. just means eight five. Yeah, which is so even it's so much cooler. Like if yeah. he actually did Ochenta E Cinco, it's like Okay, it would what, be is this fun. guy a fucking Spanish major like Wally's a fucking doctor in English? Whatever. Anyway, yeah, so it, that's actually really cool. I never I heard agree. that, though. Oh, being a doctor in English? Oh, my gosh. I was talking about – I've never heard that. I guess I shouldn't say cool. I didn't realize that players had to personally basically buy these jerseys up and before they could switch numbers and stuff like that. My big thing, the only concern I have right now – is let's say you draft an absolute stud skill position player. What happens? Because you know everybody that's already in the league who's established. A lot of people are going to want to move their number down into the single digits because it's cool. What happens when, I don't know, like uh, I'm a Henry Ruggs guy. Uh, he's 11, so I guess that's not a good example. But like who knows, like a wide receiver that has to go like 83 in their first year. What if they wanted to, like a stud? Like this year, Jamar Chase, he wants to be in that one through nine category. And they're all taken. And it's like, oh, well, shit. I guess our defensive end's wearing one. Jamar Chase is going to have to settle wearing 87. I like that. It's old school. Like you said, I don't like change. There's enough change this year with adding the 17th game. We'll see how the players react. You know, like Stefan Diggs came out. He's like, it just seems like a lot of work to change my number from 14 to 1. You know, a lot of people spent their hard-earned money for my jersey for 14. I'm not going to change it. So, I think that's a cool way to look at it. We'll see how how many other players want to do that, but so let's get sidetracked to basketball. A little bit of Steph Curry, you know, being here in Ohio, that is the last person basketball-wise people want to talk about. But this is also a podcast of a fellow North Carolinian, so you know I got to talk to him a little bit. Steph Curry officially passes Wilt Chamberlain as the Golden State Warriors' all-time leading scorer. And, then, and now Steph Curry has 17,818 points. Wilt Chamberlain's record stood since 1965 at 17,783. To kind of put that in perspective, Wilt Chamberlain played about eight, eight or nine seasons in Golden State to get that. And then he went on to play for another four, five, six years. So we still had a lot of points, but... The fact that this was such a long-standing record in Golden State history, 50-plus going on almost 60 years, is mind-boggling to me. So, Wally, what, what were kind of your thoughts about Steph Curry beating this? Obviously, he still has a lot left in the tank to to kind of pump up that record a little bit. But did you can you see this potentially ever being beaten? Well, here's the thing, too. I'm not going to go too much on this because you know that I'm not the resident basketball expert on this by any stretch of the imagination. What I will say, though, is that this is also an era where the three-pointer is life and death, where when Wilt played, all those buckets, are they're two-pointers. I mean, the guy's living under a basket playing guys that look like you and me. So it's an incredible achievement for Steph to do this. Now, I think it's a little diminished because of the three-pointer thing, whatever. It's different eras of sports. It's hard to always do this. It's like I'm a hockey guy. I hate when people compare Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby to Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky because it's a different era. They basically, again, they had people like you and I in goal back then. It's a 7% differential now. Oh, no. We're big boys. We could fill up that goal pretty easily. Yeah, it's like the Geico commercial with the freaking Walrus playing in net. So, I mean, that's basically what we would be looking at. But, I mean, it's just frustrating to me. But I'm, I'm getting sideways. Anyways, Steph Curry, the thing that got me is... When I was growing up, it wasn't Wilt Chamberlain I thought of, ironically enough. When I thought of Golden State, I thought of Baron Davis beating that number one Dallas Mavericks team. And it's without question been passed by this new era of Golden State Warriors that unfortunately here for Cleveland fans were as a dynasty. 
I mean, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, they changed the game of basketball, regardless of if that record's ever passed. They nobody will ever be able to take that away. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, the Splash Brothers, realistically changed the game. People didn't take 40 footers for fun. And now all of a sudden, there's a guy on every team that feels like has that kind of range or has that green light to shoot that. Before that, I mean, think about what Jimmer Fredette was in college. We thought it, it was, was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. Everybody and he did, wanted and he to be just like Jimmer. Turned out to be nothing. Yeah, and because Steph Curry is a better all-around basketball player than Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer Fredette. God, that was he was just dropping forty-foot threes like three times a game. It was awesome, and, and it was BYU was must-watch TV. Imagine saying that ever again. BYU anything being must-watch TV. So I, I won't harp anymore. I'll let you say anything else if you have anything else. Uh, otherwise, I'm ready to go back to football because I don't have shit for you in basketball. No, we'll hop right back into football. Start off a little bit more sadder news. Obviously, you know, what, the week leading up to the Super Bowl, one of the Kansas City Chiefs football coaches, Britt Reed, who's actually son of head coach Andy Reed, got into a car accident where he left two children, one with an extremely serious brain injury, but both injured overall here. Um, he finally got charged with a felony DWI. Um, from that accident stemming from back in February. Um, he is no longer a member of the organization. His contract expired this year. Obviously, they have no plans of re-signing him. Kind of wanted to open up to you some some of your thoughts of, you know, of this situation all around. So, I mean, I'll just start off, first of all, it's, it's a terrible situation for everybody involved. I mean, that young five-year-old girl apparently has yet to talk or walk since the incident. And all you can do is hope that eventually she is able to make a full recovery and live a normal life. I mean, imagine not only that poor child, but the parents that have to watch that. And you're happy the parents are like healthy and they weren't hurt by this. But it's almost like survivor's guilt to an extent that they were completely unscathed. Yet their five-year-old who's yet to live their life whatsoever is... I mean, who knows how bad it could end up, but unable to talk, unable to walk. I mean, that's, I mean, it goes without saying how serious that is and how sad it is. Um, it, but I, I, I just sad for everyone involved. There's not much good that comes out of this situation. I'm not happy that Britt Reed's life is ruined. He did it to himself without question, but he obviously has a problem. I'm pretty sure this was not his first DWI, if I can remember right. But it's just, it's a shame. It really did just, you, you just feel for everyone involved. It's a terrible situation. It's just, it's not even a cliche. It's just a fact. Do not drink and drive. Yeah, there's plenty of times where you have a few beers and you're like, you know what, it's good. I can head back. He had that situation. He thought he was fine. Apparently, he blew a .113, which I know you and I, we like to drink. We've had that blood alcohol level where you feel fine. You're convinced that everything's normal at that. It just goes to show that you need to have a good support system, a good people around you to ensure you not do that. And if you are having kind of drinking issues like he is, to be able to have someone tell you you need to get help. And unfortunately, it doesn't sound like that happened in this situation. It's one of those kind of like we were saying, unfortunate situations where it has to go this far where it realizes that, you know what, maybe I do need some help and maybe this is a little bit of a problem because, yeah, you know, condolences to the family. You know, I'm hopeful something could ever arise from this positively that, you know, this five-year-old can live a normal life. Very unlikely, unfortunate, but... It's just, it's a lose-lose situation. Nobody in this situation has anything better that's come out of it. It's miserable and... I don't know. I like. I hope that Britt Reed does find help. I hope that he's able to eventually understand what he did. I'm sure he already understands he, all uh, accounts that he is a decent human being when he's not drinking. The problem is, is that we're not only defined by the good things we do. You have to be defined too. It's the full package in life. And he chose to go behind the wheel. And that's something he's going to have to live with for the rest of his life. Yeah, you're more you're more likely to be judged on your bad decisions and your good. One bad decision will outweigh the five, six good decisions that you've made. So it's, it's unfortunate. Well, and rightfully so in this case. I mean, it's a, a five year old girl. Exactly. So let's uh, let's keep it in Kansas City. Moving on to a little bit uh, more lighthearted story. So Juju Smith Schuster, free agent here this past year. Uh, long story short, ended up staying in 
Pittsburgh on just a one-year deal, turning down offers, contract offers for a longer duration as well as more money. Why he signed back in Pittsburgh is fucking beyond me. But the funny thing about this story is that one of the teams that put a contract in that he declined was the Kansas City Chiefs. And apparently Andy Reid, the head coach of the Chiefs, his free agent tactic on trying to get Juju was he would, quote, send pictures of the Super Bowl trophy and call me all the time, end quote. That is an absolute legend move, especially when this guy has been clawing out of the Super Bowl championship for 35 years and now he's flexing flexing on him for, to free agents like he's Bill Belichick. Absolute legend move, though. Well, he's smart, too, to realize because if everything goes the way we expect it to, it won't be his last unless he hangs it up here in the next couple of years. Patrick Mahomes. Hey, yeah, not, you're, you're not hanging that up with Pat Mahomes. No. You say, sorry, honey, we got another decade of doing this. Yeah, like I'd be 80 years old and still coaching if Patrick Mahomes was out there without question. And, I mean, it's a good move for Andy Reid to do this. Now, for Juju, do I agree with it? No. If I could have Patrick Mahomes throwing to me for the foreseeable future, you best believe I would be doing that myself. Now, I will say this. It comes off to me like he's betting on himself. I don't have the figures in front of me with the longer duration, longer contract numbers uh, that Juju was offered by the Chiefs. What I will say is that if he thinks he's worth wide receiver one money, then he has to go out and show it this year. And I just don't believe in that offense. Yeah, I know they have a different offensive uh, system going in this next year, but it makes me a little nervous if I am Juju that I'm banking on a better year to get a payday when he's prime young age right now to get a mega deal if he has that. And why not go to Kansas City on a two or a three-year deal where you're going to be coming out of it at 27 years old, then hit up that giant payday? I don't know. It just it was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. I know Pittsburgh wasn't exactly very happy to hear what Andy Reid was doing to them because it kind of suggests that the Steelers aren't Super Bowl contenders, which I don't really entirely disagree with, especially the way the current state of things are. But yeah, I, I it was head scratcher on Juju's part, but I applaud what Andy Reid did. You best believe if I won my first Super Bowl after 35 years, I'd be flexing it 24-7. So Steelers gave him eight mil. Kansas City gave him Offered him eight mil with three million in incentives. Baltimore nine mil with four mil in incentives. See, yeah, and that's where. Well, first of all, not going to Baltimore makes sense because you're in the division. If you're go, if you're staying within the division, going to a different team, you have to go for a larger chunk of money. But how the fuck do you turn down Kansas City? You're going to be the number two receiver. You well, you're going to be the number three receiver, but you're still going to get fed. Or get the production of a one very high two. See, that's the thing. If I could have got a two-year, $8 million deal with the incentives to go to Kansas City, I would probably do it in a heartbeat. Well, Especially are, being a number in, two to Tyreek Hill. They're also not including the incentive of winning a bare Super Bowl. minimum AFC championship game. Yeah, so I mean, I would have. about Travis Kelsey as well. That's why I said he'd be the third. Well, and then even go beyond that, Clyde Edwards-Aguilar. I mean, that's an offense that's just and built Bell. to beat everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I was going to say, he's he's gone. See yeah. Sayonara. Hope you enjoyed your time. I mean, they don't give out rings for uh, Super Bowl runners-up. Um, no, nope, sorry, bud. He'll try. But, yeah, that's a that's a head-scratcher. Baltimore, like you said, makes sense. Not even for me, the whole in-division thing. Because if I'm Juju, especially the way Mark Madden and half of Pittsburgh treated him, notice I said half because half of Pittsburgh really did appreciate Juju and really have loved him. But the half of Mark Madden and his disciples out there – that have really knocked Juju at every, like, turning, everything he does. Like, TikTok videos, it's the always quote tweeted, this is what it's all about. I would want to go play in a division and beat them. The reason I didn't like the move is you bring up the incentive aspect of it. I'm not big on Lamar as the passer. So why would we believe that things are getting any better? Yeah, you play with Hollywood Brown out there, but it's not Tyree Kill. It's not Travis Kelsey. It's not Clyde edwards Lair. And then in Pittsburgh, yeah, you have Deontay Johnson. Yeah, you have uh, Chase Claypool. It's just, to me, Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron. I mean, it's just not the same and possibly Najee Harris because I still think that they're going to take him. I'm buying into that. I'm really see, starting to see the light buying into my friends who have been wanting him for like three months. I'm starting to see the light and I'm starting to believe. All smoke and mirrors, Wally. But yeah, so good luck to him in Pittsburgh. 
Uh, let's see if he regrets his decision here when we're sitting on a couch in April in 2022. Well, we're also sitting on this couch waiting for a decision from the Cleveland Browns. I guess not even the Cleveland Browns from Jadavion Clowney. The past couple days, this was supposed to get done Monday. We are recording here on Tuesday. It's probably going to be a done deal here, hopefully. Jadavion Clowney and the Browns meeting for a second time in Cleveland. Now, like I said, this was Monday. Well, Ned, I, I'm going to cut you off while you're starting to look things up, too, that this is important, too, that we are recording on Tuesday night opposed to Wednesday like we usually will. So there's a chance that if he does sign tomorrow, the afternoon, and we're not talking about it, we're morons. We accept we're morons. We're not that dumb not to be talking about it. So if we are talking about it in the wrong tense, realize this is pre-him signing tomorrow when he does take his third official visit with Cleveland. Now, last year, nothing really spectacular. Definitely... He could have cashed in on a big deal. He got greedy. Now this year, you know, or I guess I should say this past year, he only played in eight games. So he missed the other eight. Zero sacks, only 19 combined tackles, 14 solos, five assists, and four tackles for loss. So he's averaging a tackle for loss once every two games. So obviously loaded pass rush that Cleveland could potentially have with the – they already have a loaded pass rush. The addition of J- Jadavion Clowney is only going to make it better. Now, would you go as far as saying that this could be the missing piece for Cleveland, potentially that defense? Or, or do you think that this could just be another shit year for Jadavion Clowney? See, notice his great years, and by great, I mean good, the very good years in Houston. His great years were with J.J. Watt and prime J.J. Watt in Houston. It makes you really wonder if a situation like Cleveland would be the best possible situation for him because you are going to be surrounded by Miles Garrett then. He's not able, unfortunately for him, it's proven now, he's not able to be that number one end that we all expect him to be out of college. And realistically, yeah, all the pieces are there, the body's there, the intangibles are there, but he hasn't put it together yet. I don't know why. It's like one play in college really made his career. Because of course the Michigan hit. The Michigan hit, yeah. But his high school tape was phenomenal. I mean, watching him hawk down a running back from thirty-five yards back was insane to me. The guy's a freak of nature. Yes. The guy's a freak of nature. There's no denying that. And the only thing I would say that would excite me is let's say just for a moment that this deal happens. Cleveland signs him. Forget about what the numbers look like for a second. I'm talking about contract numbers. He's going to be surrounded with that other defensive line core, Miles Garrett, Takaris, Tack. I'll call him Tack for short because I can't talk. Tack McKinley. You have Andrew Billings, Sheldon Richardson, Malik Jackson, and then Jadavian Clowney. And a lot of people believe that if Jadavian Clowney is a Brown, he's going to be playing a lot of those snaps from the A-gap, from that one or two technique. And all of a sudden, if you can put your hand in the dirt, and just go after the quarterback on third down with Tack McKinley, with who I really do believe could have a resurgence in Cleveland. You have Tack McKinley, Jadavian Clowney, Malik Jackson, Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett. No quarterback is going to be safe, especially in that division right now, because no wonder they're gearing up for it, because that division has a future Hall of Famer, even though I think he's a shell of himself in Big Ben. The future in Joe Burrow. The future. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson, you need to have a defensive line like this. And dare I say it, dare I say it, if Jadavian Clowney goes to the Browns and they get even 80% of what they expect from him, this is a Super Bowl roster. It is a Super Bowl roster. If they can get by Kansas City, here's a legitimate question for you. I know I'm going off the cuff, and I'm going to let you go back and talk about your thoughts on the Browns and Jadavian Clowney here in a second. Who is the second best team in the AFC? Because I like let's skip the formalities. We know the Chiefs are the, the boring but obvious choice is number one. Who is the second best team in the AFC? Because I think it's Cleveland. We still haven't seen them on the field yet. Now they have a full off season. As of right now, it's I would have to go with Buffalo. Okay, the, the, that's the, fair. I mean, if you're going to make another at, but team at the same time, I'm not. I'm also not disagreeing. Well. Let me go. Jadavion Clowney being there, I, I agree with everything you have. The guy's an absolute talent. He just is not that true number one. He is, unfortunately, he's just a role player. He shines as a star, but when he's acting as a role player, not a star. The Bud I mean. Dupree effect. The Bud Dupree effect, exactly. Maybe the Albert Hainsworth effect. Yeah, I completely agree. You need a, a suit, what? You need a Batman to Robin. 
and he's the Robin, unfortunately, for him. And they're going to have two or three, maybe four Robins on that defense. And something that I, you know, basically everyone preaches, but you know I preach it a lot. You need a pass rush. You need a running game to be a Super Bowl contender. Cleveland Browns have both. They have a great offensive line. They have, what, top five O-line in the league. They Even without Jadavion, I would say top six, top five D-line with the addition. A great secondary. Good secondary. This team can cause a lot of problems. Now, once the schedule comes out, we get all the nooks and crannies in place and kind of see when they're playing, their stretch, their home stretches, their away stretches. This team's going to be an 11 and ugh, 11 and six. Can't believe I said I know, that. that sounds 11 gross. and six, 12 and five, potentially. I mean, you're right. But that D line, you know, you know exactly. Chiefs got the LeBron effect. Everyone is tunnel vision for that defensive pass rush after the Chiefs just got put on blast against the the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, they addressed a couple things on their offensive line this past season, but you guys still know, or everyone in the NFL still knows, you can still get after Pat Mahomes. That's how you make it uncomfortable with a great secondary that Cleveland has and scary, scary pass rush that they already have, but potentially even scarier. Why would they not be a Super Bowl contender? Yeah, well, and I want to be clear too, because you just brought up too, the blueprint to beating the Chiefs is to make Patrick Mahomes run for 500 yards before he throws the ball. That's not going to happen again. That's not going to happen again. Anyways, but I don't hate your Buffalo pick. I actually think that if you were going to pick someone besides Cleveland, it probably would be them, but you just touched on it too. They have a great offensive line. They have a great running back. They have a great defensive line and a great secondary. I mean, their weakness on their team is truly Mac Wilson and I can't remember his first name. So it's Simone Talkie Talkie, however you say it. That's linebacker core for Cleveland. Who knows? I know a lot of people are penciling in that they take a linebacker in the draft. I think that there's a very good chance Andrew Barry chooses to instead go maybe something like a wide receiver and that all of a sudden makes Jarvis Landry potentially a little bit expendable. I know that there's certain people out there, my friends, David Clayman, that would probably be happy about that. I don't necessarily agree with his extreme hate of Jarvis, but you're trying to make yourself better and you can do that by also shedding a little bit of salary. So who knows what he does? Andrew Barry has a few weeks to figure it out. They're in the middle of the draft in a great year for it because everybody's taking, it seems like a quarterback. There's going to be a lot of very good players there in the middle of the 20s. So anyways, back to you. Anything else you have to add before we jump to another thing? I'm picking up what you're putting down, talking about all these teams taking quarterbacks. Our next story here, the 49ers, John Lynch, and Kyle Shanahan. I almost said Mike and just had a complete stroke. They're attending the second pro days of Trey Lance, Justin Fields. As you guys know here the past couple weeks, San Francisco 49ers have traded up to the third spot the NFL draft. Everything is circulating. I've completely jumped off the ship of uh, a buddy of a buddy. We said we're going to take a tackle for the Niners. So I'm just going to kind of hop off the ship here. I guess we'll just kind of take the side bets on what quarterback is going to go. Mac Jones, for some reason, is on everyone's list to go number three. I don't know if I completely missed something during all the pro days, but Mac Jones was the absolute worst. Don't know why that he's getting all this hype to go number three. You got Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or others. And we had a Twitter poll out here this past week, so thank you the guys or the – or the people who did vote. I don't want to just jump to conclusions here. But Justin Fields, big surprise, overwhelming at 72% on there. Mac Jones and Trey Lance tied at 14%. Other takes the rest of the cake, which is 72%. literally 0%. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, <laughs> they were talking about Justin so Fields. The, so those three. So I'm hoping that you didn't vote on, your, on the own Twitter poll here. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go to you. Bias aside, who do you think that the San Francisco 49ers realistically are going to take? I'm truly changing my opinion by the day because there are moments where I buy the smoke because they really do seem high on Mac Jones. And not to say that they shouldn't be because I do think that he has the potential to be a decent NFL quarterback. I just don't think he's in the same conversation as the other three guys at the top right now. And I don't understand. We're four guys at the top. I I even left out Trey Lance that we were just talking about. Wow. I know. I know. I'm a joke. But I don't know. I I think that purely on – their knowledge of Justin Fields pre-college, it would explain why they didn't show up to the first pro day in lieu of going to Lance and going to Mac Jones. I think there's a very good chance at this moment they take Justin Fields, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if it's any of these three guys. Me personally, I think Trey Lance is going to go. The only reason 
I, I am saying this is because San Francisco made that trade after going to Trey Lance's pro day. And then, you know, that, that day or two later, they saw him at Mac Jones, Justin Fields. Now they're, now they're only going to Trey Lance and Justin Fields' second pro day. I'm going to go with the Trey Lance. It would make the most sense if the kid is 20, turns 21 here in like two or three weeks. Have him sit behind Jimmy G, which I guess isn't the most sexiest quarterback prospect to sit behind. But at the end of the day, you can ride out Jimmy G for a little bit while you're still building that defense. I feel like you can get Trey Lance a year, year and a half, two years before you hand over the keys to get that offense down. Still have him for cheap when he's peaking for those two or three years that you'll have him locked up before you have to pay some other defensive stars. They could be a they could be a problem again because you know they are. My only thing with Trey Lance, and it's everybody's thing, is he's played what sixteen games in FCS football, so he's not even playing the best competition. He's already green. He doesn't have a lot. It reminds me of when we had Mitch Trubisky play one year at North Carolina, 12, 13 starts, whatever the number was, and then he comes in. He has all the qualities that you would want from your top quarterback. But the question is, can he put it together? I think you have the perfect situation for someone like Trey Lance to put it together in San Francisco. Does it happen? That's the question. And I don't know if I would want to take that gamble if I'm Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. I think of these three, Justin Fields is the best quarterback. Sure, I'm an Ohio State fan. Sure, I'm biased. I'm beating the Ohio State drum all the time. But I just can't help it. They, if you put him in another uniform, I wonder how much of this critique is still there. Because it's just natural to say, you know what, Ohio State's never developed uh, an NFL quarterback, or at least a good one. So I can understand why there is nerves about it. But you, I say it every week, I feel like. But you scout the player, not the school. And if you scout the player, it's so frustrating to see... Justin Fields, and I feel like I'm so tired and I'm so sorry to you guys that I have to do this every week, but it's frustrating that you hear this, that he's a mobile quarterback, that he looks to throw first, he throws a lot of screens where all of these things are not true. He He's thrown the fewest screens of NFL draftable quarterbacks, or at least the fewest percentage of yards for him. And then you pair that with the fact he's not just a guy that looks to run. He's a pocket passer that just so happens to be able to run a 4-4. The guy's a freak. I would want him, like I said, if the Raiders were picking a top three and they were in that San Francisco spot and they were going to pick a quarterback, I would want it to be Justin Fields. And that's that's because I think he's going to be the most successful of these three. Is nothing to do with the Ohio State tie. You have to believe me. I know most of you won't. But you have to believe me. I just really, really like Justin Fields, the quarterback prospect. Justin Fields is an absolute animal. Being able to watch him these past couple of years, he's an absolute beast. What He had 60, almost 70 touchdowns these past two years combined. He's an absolute stud. And, yeah, there's this bad stigma with if you're an Ohio State quarterback, we're not going to touch you. But to your point, this isn't a quarterback that typically is a run first. He just played in a very heavy offense that likes to run. That's nothing new for Ohio State. Sure, they didn't have a Zeke Elliott that they handed it off to, so it didn't look as pretty. Justin Fields can still bomb it. Yeah, this past year, he didn't put on the season that he did prior in 2019. Only had the five games. That's why. I was going to say, and you're playing like every other like week because of that. It's hard to get in that like rhythm of a season. But he just completely dismantled the best defense in college football in Clemson. Everyone seems to kind of forget that. But when Trevor Lawrence is destroying Ohio State's, what, would you say they had a mediocre 2019 defense? Oh, my God. Well, oh, you're saying two years ago, you're saying? Two years ago. I thought it was last year. Oh, no, no. Like, last year's defense was not good, but you said 2019. So, I thought. Yeah, because I thought Justin, or I thought Trevor Lawrence smoked you guys two years ago. You'd have to look at the stats. I don't feel like he had that crazy of a game, but even so. Like he had like 150 rushing yards on him. Well, yeah, because he had like an 80-yard touchdown run, and that kind of bloated it. But anyways, so yes, about 2019. Sorry, white quarterbacks getting 80-yard touchdown runs is so cool. It was. It so uh, happens all the time. Yeah, so those defenses, the last two years for Ohio State, the past defenses have been garbage. I mean, last year, I, I know they're in the 120s. I want to say they were 122nd in the country, though. So it's a lot different. I 
Don't think Clemson's defense is nearly as good as a lot of people thought they did, but everybody's in love with Brent Venables, so here we are. We're going to talk about it anyways, but that's fine. Yeah, Justin Fields, keep against the best defense he played last year, he had a good game. Even Alabama, he played well. The problem was you lose Trey Sermon on the first offensive snap. It's going to change any anything. I mean, that's the entire game plan is different because of that. And when you're trying to keep up with a team that's scoring every like six plays they touch the ball, it changes things. I just get frustrated that we just want to talk about the only couple games that Fields struggled in his entire college career instead of looking at the positives. I don't feel like we do that with other quarterback prospects, but for some reason we're fixated on Northwestern, we're fixated on Indiana, and I just don't get it. Someone's going to get a really good quarterback, and I'm going to be rooting for him. Bias aside, I don't care. I will be rooting for Justin Fields. He's a really good kid. And I think he's going to have a very bright NFL career. Way better than what your boy Dwayne Haskins ever will. So. The GOAT. Of going to strip clubs and not going to practice in the NFL. Last story before we wrap it up here, Wally. Julian Edelman. Jules officially announces his retirement. Now, this kind of came randomly, I guess some would say, because the Patriots terminated his contract due to a failed physical because of the injuries Julian Edelman sustained this past year. Now, there was rumors going on early or late last week that Edelman may not even be able to play this, you know, this upcoming year because of said injury. The pass has terminated the contract. Jules ended up just retiring. Adam Schefter, of course, the man always breaking the news. He just believes that this was just simply a tactic for a way for Julian Edelman to retire. So, of course, we have to ask the blazing question, Wally. Well, I'm going to actually put you with two. One. Don't do the Hall of Fame question. I already can feel it. The legacy of Edelman in New England, do you think that he is a Hall of Fame wide receiver? And number two, (laughs) is this dude going to go to Tampa Bay? See, okay, that one is more interesting to me because let's say in a year from now, Jules gets the bug again. And Tom Brady, whether they win a Super Bowl or not, they have another good year. If he gets the itch, will New England be as ready to just say, you know what? No problem. We'll see you later. Because don't they still, because of the retirement through this technicality, won't they have control over him if he were to come back similar to what Gronkowski well, they had? contract because of the physical. So, in theory, he's a free agent then? Yes. All right. Well, if he does come back and he is truly a free agent, yeah, you know where he'd go. It's not going to be coming back to play with Cam Newton or whoever they find a way to get up there in New England. So, yeah, if he does come back, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was in Tampa. Now, I don't really believe he will. Watching that Instagram or Twitter or whatever message he had, it sounds like he's pretty happy with his career. He's happy to move on. And I, I think that he has nothing left to prove. He had a very good NFL career. Notice I said very good and not Hall of Fame worthy. Because he's not a Hall of Famer. You can't... Here's my... Oh, boy. uh, No, no. So... Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm frustrated just because you have guys out there like Torrey Holt, like Reggie Wayne, that have yet to get into the Hall of Fame. You had guys like Tim Brown, Mr. Raider himself, take two or three ballots because for whatever reason, the wide receiver position in the NFL Hall of Fame is very exclusive. I know the NFL Hall of Fame in itself is exclusive, But the wide receiver position especially, there's a lot of huge names that have been left off year after year. And it's weird to me. I don't know why. It's almost like they don't want to oversaturate the Hall of Fame with too many wide receivers. But if a guy like Julian Edelman gets in before Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne, I'll eat my hat. That's It's unbelievable to me. There's no way that they get him before that. No, no chance. Here's my middle ground. And I haven't heard anybody talk about it yet. One of the things I love about the NHL and the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is they have like moments that they iconicize, or uh, that's a made up word I just made. Except for the steroid era. Yeah, no kidding. They just pretend that didn't happen. But like, what didn't happen? Yeah, exactly. What didn't happen is right. But like, if any hockey fans, if you're not a hockey fan, they have emergency backup goalies that are on standby every single game in the NHL. You have two goalies on your roster. But if, God forbid, two of your goalies got hurt in the same game, this dude off the street is thrown in a jersey in that moment and put on the ice, and you, they're playing for you the rest of the game. It's just for that game, whatever. 
Last year, David Ayers was the Zamboni driver for the AHL affiliate of the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Carolina Hurricanes goalie, both of them, got injured in the game. He came in with a lead in the second period. For the first time in NHL history, a e-bug, which is the emergency backup goalie, won a game. He won that game. What did they do? They take like pieces of like his the puck. They take like his glove, things like that, and they go to the Hall of Fame forever for that moment. Baseball, first hits, you keep the ball, stuff like that. But like the certain home run balls, or they'll take a bat for certain events. Why not have like the gloves of Julian Edelman for that catch in the Super Bowl against Atlanta go into the Hall of Fame? Like David Tyree, why not have his helmet? Or why not have his football? Do things like that, individual Tyree, moments. Is he a Hall of Famer? Oh, no. Yeah, you might as well be. If Julian Edelman gets in there, that's what we're doing. It's just you were a very big moment in my life. Therefore, you're a Hall of Famer. That's my middle ground that I want to see. I would love to see something like that in the NFL where Edelman himself doesn't get in, but some piece of him gets in because he was a big piece of this era of football. But no chance in hell is he a Hall of Famer. The average Hall of Fame wide receiver, 757 receptions. 11,638 yards and 90 touchdowns. And think about how many of those two were before the passing bill. Exactly. Julian Edelman, 620 receptions. Below. 6,822 yards. Below. 36 touchdowns. That was below too, right? He averaged three (laughs) touchdowns per year. This dude is not... A Hall of Fame. This isn't the fucking NBA where you can average nine points and six rebounds and go to the fucking Hall of Fame. No. There needs to be a middle ground between the two leagues. This dude hit 1,000 yards three times. Over 1,000 yards three times. That's 25%. When are you ever getting awarded for doing a fourth of something phenomenal? At least Mike Evans. That dude's had a 1,000-yard year every single year he's been in the league. I mean, if you're going just past catcher, it, what does he even rank in New England history? I would say I would put Wes Welker right there with him. I would put Gronkowski clearly ahead of him. Individual seasons, Aaron Hernandez and Randy Moss had better years than him. Dion Branch was still there. He was a part of that original dynasty in New England. I just don't get the love for this idea, I don't know where this conversation even came from. It's like it was created just to piss people off and we're all arguing with each other on the same side. I feel like if you're not a Patriots fan, who's arguing for Edelman to get into the Hall of Fame? No. Nobody. Nobody. He's fourth all-time on in receptions in Patriots history. Who's, uh, who's ahead of him? So, obviously, you got Gronk. Wes Welker, Gronk, and Stanley Morgan, who played for them from 77 to 89. I didn't know that guy existed until this very moment. He has 10,352 yards, which is also the most in Patriots history. Like I said, big fan. I always liked his game personally, just never really translated. (laughs) (laughs) Stanley Morgan. Well, here, while you're looking that up, I saw, again, I've got a reference that group me that I had. Someone in there, I think it was Brian Craighead, had a tweet that he shared or a stat that he shared. He never even led the NFL in white receiver yards in a year. Not once in his career. Well, well, Wes Walker or Adam Thielen or or Thielen. It's Thielen. Read a fucking book. Eric Decker probably had more. Eric Decker? I mean, there's... Not that many white receivers, though. And the fact that he never even led the white receiver category, it's like that kind of – I say it jokingly, but how damning is that? That you can't even lead this little group of wide receivers and expect to be in the Hall of Fame. It's just not practical. It's not right. It's not going to happen. And that is going to bring us to an end of another episode of Loss of Down Before. Meanwhile, you get way too heated. We're probably going to have a 30-minute conversation about this outside the mic. Of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down, Twitter, down underscore loss. Keep your eyes peeled for potentially another poll that we could be having here about what? 
probably about the Kevin James Sean Payton movie is most likely what we're yeah, going to be talking say, about. Yeah, I'm sure we'll probably start doing like a poll or two a week. Love having you here. Any parting words, Wally? No, I'm very happy once again to be back in Columbus. I will be at my former school, Ohio Media School, tomorrow, hopefully figuring some stuff out that'll help for the podcast, both audio-wise and hopefully get you guys a little bit of video so you can unfortunately get to see our faces as well. But that's a thing we'll see. We're going to take it an episode at a time. And of course, remember what Steven said, interview hopefully here in the next couple weeks. Looking forward to that one. So I got the Johnson & Johnson shot here this past Thursday. We obviously have all the news about how it's creating blood clots. So this may potentially be our last episode. Guys. That's so frustrating. No, I'm sorry. The tangent again. Six out of seven million people have blood clots. One out of a thousand women on birth control get blood clots. <coughs> Why is this a conversation? Because we're dumb. We're Americans and we just believe everything we read. Whatever. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And this is why we need football back. He's Wally Lukachevsky. I'm Stephen Weed. Until next week, we are lost and down. Pfizer's better anyways.